you would tonight, I'm going to have you turn to a classic passage on the subject of evangelism, and that is Romans chapter 1 and verses 14 through 17. Romans chapter 1 and verses 14 through 17. This very first series in our new Sunday night format is gospel-shaped outreach. We are using a curriculum that was developed by the Gospel Coalition, this specific study was written by the man that you saw on the screen. His name is Eric Raymond. He is the senior pastor at Emmaus Bible Church in Omaha, Nebraska. He is a frequent uh, writer for the Gospel Coalition and also for Ligonier Ministries, which is the teaching ministry of R.C. Sproul. In this series, we are going to share nine different sessions with you and in a sense we're starting local evangelism month early just because of the way this curriculum works so it'll be the focus morning and evening in october but we're starting with a couple of preparatory lessons i'm gonna share with you tonight but pastor chad is actually going to do more of really laying out all of this this is his particular area of focus and he will do that on sunday night the 25th what I want to share with you tonight is that at the heart and soul of everything we're going to share with you is this thought, that if a church is faithful to expositional preaching and to biblical obedience, if a church is faithful to expositional preaching and to biblical obedience, we will be an evangelistic church. It is the natural outflow of expositional preaching and biblical obedience to be an evangelistic church. We will also be an apologetic church, which means we will be people who defend the faith. Apologetics is simply the defense of the Christian faith. We will also be a church planting church, and that is that we will want to see New Testament churches planted, not only here in the United States, but around the world. So a Bible teaching church, a church that emphasizes expositional preaching and biblical obedience, will have a passion for world missions. We will have a passion to take the gospel to the nations, but not only to take the gospel to the nations, but to establish New Testament Bible teaching churches in those places. So, what this series is going to be about is not giving you a new method for evangelism. There's nothing wrong with methods for evangelism. I'll mention some of them later. That's not what this series is about. This series is about laying a theological foundation for true biblical evangelism and outreach. That's what we want to do in this series. And so I have chosen to start this series with Romans chapter 1. And in verses 14 through 17, Paul, going to this great empire, the capital of this great empire, says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
Excuse me. Our first point tonight is the power of God for salvation. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That is the point that we all want to come to in our Christian lives, that we are not ashamed of the gospel message because at the center of the gospel is Jesus Christ himself. Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. In other words, Paul is saying, we have an obligation to those who don't know Christ. Whomever they may be, we have an obligation to them. We who know the gospel, we who know the way to heaven, we who know the way to forgiveness, have an obligation to those who don't know, who don't know any of those things, who know nothing about the gospel. And apart from Jesus, no one demonstrated a faithfulness to the gospel better than the Apostle Paul did. Paul endured tremendous trials, severe trials in proclaiming the gospel. He was so determined that he needed to get out this good news and that people could not be saved without it, that people would perish without it. So convinced of that, that it didn't matter what anyone else did to him. John MacArthur, in his commentary on Romans, captures this very well. He says this, The Jewish religious leaders of Jerusalem did not intimidate Paul, nor did the learned and influential pagans at Ephesus, Athens, and Corinth. The apostle was eager now to preach and teach the gospel in Rome, the capital of the pagan empire that ruled virtually all the known world. He was never deterred by opposition, never disheartened by criticism, and never ashamed for any reason of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Although that gospel was then and still is today a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, it is the only way God has provided for the salvation of men. And Paul was both overjoyed and emboldened by the privilege of proclaiming its truth and power wherever he went. We know this, that it is a serious sin to be ashamed of the gospel. Because again, at the heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ. So if we are ashamed of the gospel, we are in essence saying that we are ashamed of Christ himself. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation or, excuse me, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God to save those who believe. Every time I read this passage, whether it is for teaching purposes or just in devotion, excuse me, I am fascinated by the little two-letter word, it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. <clears throat> it is the reference to the gospel. It is the gospel itself. It is, the gospel is the power of 
God. The word power there is a very well-known Greek word. Many of you are familiar with it. It is the word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. And it means that if you are faithful in giving out the gospel, you will unleash the explosive power of God. If you are faithful in giving out the gospel message, you will unleash the explosive dynamite power of God. And it's as if in our own personal lives and in our church, we need to go back over this again and again. It is not your personality that persuades people. It is not your intellectual giftedness that persuades people. It is not your use of some fancy method. It is the gospel. I really believe this, folks, that the shyest, most timid person who is faithful in giving out an accurate biblical gospel can be a powerful witness for Christ. Eric Raymond is right. We tend, as a church, to want to leave evangelism to those with really outgoing personalities. I don't have that kind of personality. Many of you don't have that kind of personality. We can be faithful witnesses for Christ. I want you to know that we can be. We are envious of that gregarious, outgoing person. And I thank God for them. And they can be good gospel witnesses. But many of us are not that way. But if we faithfully, no matter how quietly or timidly we share it, if we faithfully share the gospel, it will unleash the explosive power of God. We believe as a church and teach regularly that we cannot be saved by man-made schemes that make us feel good about ourselves. And we have to do that in the face of everything we see around us. You go into Walmart, you go into Target, you go into Barnes and Noble. It's just filled with self-help books. How to do this, 10 steps to do that. It is, and people buy those kinds of books by the millions. But they cannot save us. They give us the impression perhaps the illusion that we are improving as human beings, but they cannot save us. It is only the gospel that can save us. We know as a church that we cannot be saved by religious effort, and yet we do that in the face of seeing all around us, all around the world, people striving, trying to be religious, going to church as often as they can, carrying out religious ceremonies as often as they can. Some of you may have seen the canonization of um, Mother Teresa recently. And at the Vatican, there were just seas of, of people, thousands if not millions of people who had gathered for that in this kind of desperate attempt to use religious good works or religious efforts in order to please God. But we know, we know and have taught that that cannot save us, but only the gospel can save us. And Paul says it is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is through the Jewish people that we have 
receive the gospel message. It is from the patriarchs that the gospel has come to us. It is from the Jewish people that Jesus came. And so it is to the Jew first, but it is also for the Greek, also for the Gentile. It is fascinating when we read through the book of Acts. As the book of Acts moves along, we see the gospel going from only to the Jews to also to the Gentiles. We think of the famous passage in Acts chapter 10 where Cornelius and those of his household are saved and the Jews are astounded. They are just amazed. And it's like they have this great light revealed to them. It is for the Gentiles too. It is for the Gentiles too. And we are taught it's to the Jew first, but it's also for the Greeks. It's also for the Gentiles. And then Paul, or Paul then makes this astounding statement, for in it, there's that word again, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Now when it says in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, it is not saying that the gospel teaches us to live a righteous life. Now the Bible does teach us that we should seek to live in righteousness, that we should seek to live a righteous life, but that is not what verse 17 is saying. Verse 17 is making the incredible claim that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to us. Verse 17 is saying that through the gospel, we become the righteousness of Christ. That in the gospel, when someone believes the gospel, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to them. That's the theological word. It simply means transferred or given to them. So when a person receives Christ as Lord and Savior, embraces his life-giving truth by his finished work on the cross, Christ gives them his righteousness, they give Christ their sin. It is the, called the great transfer. Our sins are transferred to Christ, his righteousness is transferred to us. And we, in an amazing fashion, are literally clothed with the righteousness of Christ. When we believe the gospel, we stand righteous and clean before God. And that is revealed to us in the gospel message. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And that righteousness is imparted to us by faith. It is believing that Christ accomplished our salvation on the cross. I don't have it on the screen tonight, but we think of that classic, classic verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is incredible. Talk about good news Filthy, sinful people clothed in, clothed in the rags of their own sin 
take off those filthy rags and are clothed in the very righteousness of God. You may not feel like that sometimes. I don't feel like that sometimes. But thank God in Jesus, I am righteous in the sight of God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says it so well again in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9, and that is on the screen for you tonight. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now watch verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That's it, folks. That's it. You cannot explain it better than that. I want to be found in Christ. In my life and in my death, I want to be in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that I tried to earn, a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And so Paul says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. In the New International Version, it says from first to last. It means that salvation is totally by faith. That's an important statement. It in, in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith or from first to last. Salvation is not faith plus your good works. Salvation is not faith plus your effort to live a good life. It is not faith plus keeping certain religious traditions and ceremonies. No, it is from faith for faith, from first to last. It is all by faith. And then he concludes by saying, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you know why you are able to live a righteous life today? One reason that you are able to live a righteous life because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you are clothed with that righteousness at the time of your salvation. That is the only way you can live a righteous life. The only way I can live a righteous life. And, and salvation has always been by faith alone from the very beginning of the Bible, even beginning in the book of Genesis. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Think about that. Way back in the book of Genesis, Abraham believed God by faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know how Abraham was saved? Just like you're saved. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They looked forward to the cross. We look backwards to the cross. But all of us are saved by faith and by faith alone. The righteous have always lived and will always live by 
faith. Well, our second point tonight is gospel-shaped outreach. We want every person to know that if we are faithful to the proclamation of the biblical gospel, God's Spirit will work in the lives of unbelievers. We want you to know that. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that if I simply and lovingly give out the gospel of mess, the gospel of Christ, God's Spirit will work in the lives of unbelievers. In fact, I think God delights in using people who don't have really attractive personalities like me. I do. I think that he delights in taking the shy and the timid and those who don't talk easily to people, having them faithfully, lovingly share the gospel and watch it go to work. That's a beautiful thing. It is not for a select few. It is not for an elite few. It's for everybody. And I praise God for that. Every single person here tonight can be a faithful witness of the gospel message. We want you to be excited about sharing the gospel, knowing that it doesn't take some special degree, some uh, special qualification. Eric Raymond said it so well. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're qualified. If you know him as Savior, you are qualified to share the gospel. And I like to say this each year, we are not going to burden you down with guilt. That's not our goal at all. We are not going to put pressure on you. We want to encourage you. We want to encourage you that this is for every person. We want to assist you again this year with practical ways in which we can share Christ with those in our sphere of influence. And I want you to just think about that as we go through this gospel-shaped outreach curriculum that God wants you to share Christ with those in your sphere of influence. He doesn't want you to go out necessarily and find new people, nothing wrong with that. He wants you to reach out to the people you already know, people in your own extended family, people in your own community, people at your own workplace, people at your own school. He wants you to seek to be a faithful gospel witness right where you are, right in what you are doing. Rico Tice is a pastor in London, England. He is probably best known for authoring a, an evangelistic method that is called Christianity Explored. Many Bible teaching churches use that curriculum. And he writes this. I want you to really think about what he says tonight. I, I love this particular quote. Rico Tice says, It's no accident that you know the people you do. It's no accident that they're in your path. They need the gospel. You know the gospel. God wants them to hear the gospel. God has sovereignly placed you wherever you are. He's not asking you to go somewhere else. Yes, there are occasions like Kent and Jenny and others who are moved by God to take the gospel cross-culturally. But for the majority of the church, God wants us to be faithful right where we are. 
He wants you to go to the people you already know. And I like when he says it's no accident that they're in your world. They need the gospel. You know the gospel. God wants them to hear the gospel. Now in seeking to share a biblically accurate gospel, and that is always our goal. There's nothing wrong with using methods, and there's some good methods out there. So I um, endorse them if they're, if they're biblical. Um, in October of 2006, one of our first local evangelism months, um, I did a whole series on how to use the four spiritual laws to share your faith, how you can expand on each principle in the four spiritual laws and add verses to it. I still often use the four spiritual laws today in my own witnessing efforts. I know John and Karen Leaf have trained people over the years and share Jesus without fear. Pastor Ron was just sharing with me that I think advisors at Beacon of Hope still have to go through the training course of share Jesus without fear. A, a very good evangelistic method. Some of you use the Romans Road. Um, some of you may use evangelism explosion. Those are all good methods. As I've said before, find something that you are comfortable with. Um, I've even seen people just find a track that they really like and memorize it and they use that to reach out to others. As long as it's got accurate biblical content, man, use that as a guideline in which you can share with others. Maybe some of you are to the point where you like just question and answer interaction. That's okay too, as long as we are getting the gospel out. So we want to use Local Evangelism Month each year to remind all of us that witnessing is at the heart and soul of the Christian life. We want to be evangels, evangelists of the evangel. We want to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we have made it so complicated that we scare people with it and they think they can't do it. And we want to do everything we can to dispel that kind of false thinking. However, we do need to be encouraged. We do need to be reminded. And that's why we decided a number of years ago to have Local Evangelism Month every year in October, just like we have World Missions Month in March. We believe we should be teaching about world missions all year long, but it's good to be reminded in March. We believe we should emphasize the resurrection of Jesus Christ all the time, but it's good, isn't it, on Easter Sunday to be reminded in a special way about the resurrection of Christ, and so it is with evangelism. Evangelism is something we always want to teach and do, but it's good to have a time of year where we are reminded in a special way. So let me say again, we all need to be reminded, we all need to be encouraged that all of us can be, no matter who you are, an effective witness for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, encourage our hearts. Help us to be a church that cares about gospel-shaped, gospel-infused, gospel-accurate outreach. 
So guide us as we go through this series. May it be a conviction and an encouragement to all of us. Oh Lord, use us as your instruments to lead people to Christ for the sake of your glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.